That was super fun to see. 2018 was a good year here at Vineyard Church of Hopkinton, and I think 2019 is going to be just as good. You know what's crazy? 2019, guys. We're in the end of our teenage years together. 2020 is right around the corner. I mean, I remember when it was 1999 and it didn't feel like that that long ago, but whatever. I feel like a lot of promises have been made about 2020. I wonder how many, you know, government initiatives or business initiatives were were slated. Oh, by 2020, we'll definitely, definitely. Um, I came across an article, uh, Popular Science, you know, not really that that long ago, predicted that by the year 2020, it may be possible to breed intelligent species of animals, such as apes, that will be capable of performing manual labor during the 21st century. Those houses that do not have a robot in the broom closet, which, I mean, Roombas have gotten quite common, could have a live-in ape to do the cleaning and gardening chores. As for whether these apes could be used for driving cars, the study concluded that the use of well-trained apes as family chauffeurs might decrease the number of automobile accidents. I'm personally offended at they think an ape could be better than me as a driver. Uh, A group of doctors in the late 60s uh, thought, me as a woman, uh, that I could be more than six feet tall that the woman of 2020 would wear a size 11 shoe, have shoulders like a wrestler and muscles like a truck driver. Her proportions, these doctors said, would be perfectly Amazonian due to science providing us with a diet of balanced rotation of vitamins, proteins, and minerals. Jokes on them, our diet's gotten way worse in the last 50 years. That's what they thought women were supposed to look like by now. I don't know what they thought y'all men were supposed to look like you know, by 2020, one more year. We were definitely supposed to have landed on Mars by now. They're saying that 2030 is really, that, that'd be a stretch. Um, we were definitely, there was not supposed to be any more of the small change, nickels, pennies, dimes, those are supposed to be gone. I don't really know why we still have those. Um, For those of you who think that the English language has devolved over the last couple of decades, it was predicted that the extraneous letters, uh, C, X, Q, would no longer be part of our alphabet. They would have been abandoned because they're unnecessary. But in all seriousness, we know that 2019 will not be the year that ushers in ape chauffeurs or Mars or Amazonian women. But what will 2019 bring for us? Who here does New Year's resolutions? Whoa! We are a motivated group of people. I see two hands in the back. That's it. Two hands in the back. Maybe maybe some of you are just last-minute shoppers on your resolutions. You've got another day and a half to to work up the courage. I mean, I don't do New Year's resolutions either. I mean, if I'm going to eat healthier, I'll do it in the summer when I feel like drinking water, not hot chocolate, you know. But I do think that New Year's is a good time to... um, Stop and evaluate, maybe make some mid-course corrections. Um, My Christmas present to Stephen actually was two uh, 24-hour retreats at a local monastery. He gets to go off by himself, read, pray, bother the nuns there, whatever he wants to do, spend some time alone evaluating as he moves into the new year. Um, So I don't do any big projects, but I do do like to stop and and evaluate, um, make sure that 
we're really living this year the way we want to. I don't want to waste a year or waste a winter, um, but I do like to stop and evaluate. Steve and I will be um, making some changes in our family schedule together, um, reallocating some of our times, doing some new things with family devotions. And this morning, we're going to look at a story from the life of Jesus uh, that falls quite appropriately after Christmas um, of Jesus pursuing God's calling for his life. Jesus did have a complex life. Uh, and if we really look at his life, I think that it shows us how to flourish amidst the complexities of our own life also. Pursuing a life, pursuing 2019 in the pattern of Jesus will lead us into our best life, where we are most authentically who God has created us to be and where we have the most positive impact on those around us. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Not, I've come that you may have life and have it religiously in heaven after you die. Not, I've come that you may have life and have it boringly. But I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Following Jesus may, it, it may surprise us, it may be far different than what we thought it would be, but it will never disappoint us. And let's pray as we turn to scriptures this morning. Jesus, we give you our time and our attention this morning. In this next hour, um, hour of church, not hour of me preaching, yeah, would you, would you work in our hearts, Jesus? Would you show us your love? Would you show us your care for us, Jesus? Would you speak to our hearts and our minds? We thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of scripture. Would we be hearers of the word and doers of the word? Would it seep into our hearts and our minds? Would you touch me and change me this morning by your word? And as we look into 2019, Jesus, uh, we thank you that we know what 2019 holds for us, that it holds your grace, your mercy, your provision, your care for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 2, which if you were with us on Christmas Eve, we're also in Luke chapter 2, just a little earlier on in the chapter. So Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 41 through the end. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Jesus' family was a good Jewish family. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. It shows us what a normal family life Jesus had. They just, he was off with the 12-year-old boys. You know, Mary was walking with other moms. Joseph was with the dads, talking about whatever sports they had, whatever they were doing. And Jerusalem at this time was a zoo. The population um, expanded by like six times the normal population. So when the Nazareth crew headed out, they assumed, oh, Jesus was with other teenagers walking home to Nazareth. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, three days later, as a parent, I like this story less and less. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Even at age 12, he was remarkable for his spiritual insight. It doesn't say here that he was you know, expounding his own interpretation or, or teaching as he would later on, uh, but he showed a deep understanding and was deeply engaged with scripture. His parents were not so impressed. They did not know what to think. 
son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. It does seem that Jesus is being uh, kind of cruel and heartless. Um, he says, why, but why did you need to search? He asked, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth and with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. This is the second time Luke has told us that Mary stored all these things in her heart. Jesus gave her a lot to ponder. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Here we see Jesus as son of Mary and Joseph and Jesus as son of God. He claims special uh, allegiance and dedication to God as his father, and then he returns home to Nazareth and lives obediently as Joseph's son. Right after his extraordinary declaration that he must be about the things of God, that he must be in his father's house, he then goes home and fits into the appropriate normal social conventions of family of his family life. Mary says that you treated your father and I, we know what that phrase means, your father and I, he treated your father and I very badly. And Jesus claims, actually, I was being obedient to my father. I was with my father this whole time. The 12-year-old Jesus is aware, as Mary and Joseph should have been, that he was God's son and not Mary and Joseph's son only. Here we see a hint of how, how the last 12 years has been for them. I think it's been really normal. There was a reason why Mary and Joseph were surprised at this, because he hasn't disappeared before, because he hasn't been off teaching in temples before, because he's been a normal, obedient son up to this point. 12 years of normalcy probably had them forgetting all of the crazy stuff that happened with, with the angels and shepherds and, and wise men around his birth. Jesus is just He's hanging out with other 12-year-olds. Jesus is working in his dad's carpentry shop. He didn't have a special childhood. God who created the, the world did not come to the world in privileged circumstances. You know, when you think about like family businesses, and sometimes they get handed down to the next son or, or daughter, the heir uh, to the business, there are two ways that that typically gets done. And the first way... The uh, eldest son or daughter is groomed, and they're trained, and, and then they're put in, in a top position, right? Right in at the, in, the, at the top to make the big bucks. And then in the second way, they go in at ground level. They stock shelves. They wash floors. They work hard for their first step up the first rung of the ladder. Jesus, he did it the second way. He chose the way of weakness and vulnerability, and that's one of the reasons why he has such power and such authority for us in our ordinary lives, starting out on the ground level. Jesus, he entered into our circumstances. He risked. He walked life in our shoes, and I think there's authority that comes from this. In this story, we see his authority and his power starting to peek out, starting to bubble out. When we really love people, it gives us authority. When we really walk in people's shoes, live life in their circumstances, it gives us a power and an authority that comes from loving them. 
I think of uh, one of the missionaries in China. I knew a couple of people who worked with her when I was in China, uh, Jackie Pullinger. And Jackie Pullinger is a well-known missionary in China. She worked with drug addicts and prostitutes in the walled city of Hong Kong. And uh, she was this little tiny English woman, and she came there uh, barely out of her teenage years, and she would pray people off of drugs. Going through the worst of the withdrawal, she would be up with them overnight, just praying them through uh, the horrible withdrawal and horrible side effects. And then these, these triad leaders, these um, pimps would come asking for their people back. She would just stand up to them, this little tiny British lady, and she'd be like, no, you can't have them back. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not yours anymore. And she had such authority and such power. And people would be like, how does she do that? It was because she loved these people and she walked with them through the worst of their circumstances. And that's how she had the power to stand up to people and tell them that they couldn't have those people back, that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ now. Jesus came in ordinariness and vulnerability. And that's one of the reasons why he has authority and power in our lives. Because he lived as one of us, because he died as one of us. We have a great high priest who was in every way as weak as we are, but remains strong, who is in every way as tempted as we are, but did not sin, and who has made a way forward for us. As Christians, we believe in this big impossible, impossible thing called the Incarnation, that says that Jesus was fully God and fully human. That he wasn't a uh, human-looking God. And he, he wasn't a God-like human. He was as human as you and me, but he didn't lose his godness when, when he came to earth. He was just as divine as when he sat up in heaven. And because he is fully human, he is able to fully connect humanity. And because he was fully God, he's able to connect us fully to God. What he is fully, he is able to accomplish and complete fully. Paul writes in his letter to the early church, the church at uh, Colossae, that in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were saved because you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. God entered into human life with us so that we can enter into the life of Christ with him. Life with Jesus, fully alive, fully human, authentic, living in the power and love of God. This is what Jesus came to bring us into, and this is what he wants for us in 2019. I want to present a little um, paradigm that I really like, that I think shows us uh, how Jesus lived, both the boy Jesus and the man Jesus, and how we can live into the way of Jesus in 2019. Uh, it comes from the author Andy Crouch in his book, Strong and Weak. If you have read the book, you get to relive a great read. Uh, if you haven't, I think you're in for a treat. So when this author looks at life, he sees strength and he sees weakness. We're born in weakness. We gain strength as we 
grow older. We here in a wealthy Western world have a good amount of strength. Most of us have a decent amount of agency to determine the outcomes of our life. In many other places of the world, weakness is more of a norm. Poverty, limited resources prevail. Historically, uh, if you think historically, the circumstances you were born into uh, are typically the circumstances of your life. And this author, he calls strength authority. And he says the authority is the capacity for meaningful change. To be able to influence your family, your friends, your workplace, uh, to be able to empower your kids, to encourage your neighbors, to make the world a better place. That's authority. And he calls weakness vulnerability. And vulnerability isn't all bad. It's risk. It's stepping out of your comfort zone. It's not being secure. It's, it's a bit of shaky ground. No other human being ever lived a fuller life than Jesus. Jesus lived with the most authority. Meaningful change. I mean, he raised people from the dead. He empowered women, tax collectors, the marginalized. He had a group of followers who, who traveled all over with him. The whole country was talking about him. He was a strong leader, a charismatic figure. The, we, we divide history around his life and acknowledge his as one of the most consequential lives ever lived. But Jesus also took on an incredible amount of risk. He was a baby at a time of high infant mortality. Uh, he was obedient to ordinary human parents for decades of his life. Uh, he had limits to his, his physical stamina and strength. He got tired. He took on the most powerful establishments of the day, the Jewish religious establishment, the Roman government of the time, and his life ended in, in the ultimate human weakness, death, the ultimate human weakness that we see played out around us still, uh, unjust death at the hands of the oppressor. Jesus was the ultimate of both. In this world, we all start kind of in that lower corner. Uh, we are all weakness. We were born as children uh, with a lot to learn. Hopefully we have parents who shield us from much of that risk. But you know, some of us actually want to stay here with low vulnerability and low authority. Some of us want to withdraw, to, to live a life of safety, tucked away into, into a corner, not stepping out into too much risk or, or too much work. This is the curled up corner place. We don't demand too much of ourselves. We, we wrap ourselves in weakness like a bathrobe and just settle in. We don't take on too much risk and we don't take on too much power. But then there are many of us in the world with low authority and lots of risk, lots of vulnerability, uh, and very little power. This is typical of much of the world's poor. These are the suffering and the exploited. This is true of the 40 million people currently caught up in human trafficking, the millions working in the new slavery of sweatshops, uh, making consumer goods for us. This is true of the 1.3 billion people who live on less than $1.25 per day. And we see that and we're like, okay, let's go in the opposite direction, right? We aim for all authority and no vulnerability. It seems like a really nice place to be. It's sort of the American dream, but this is where we end up exploiting others. The fantasy of power, the dream of I came, I saw, I conquered, is deep in the heart of our culture. Um, that we are warriors, we are triumphant, we are in control, we're on top of our game and nothing's going to bring us down. I feel like I just quoted a pop song in there. Um, it's a fantasy of control. 
Uh, this is the place where, where greedy businesses and sweatshops belong. Um, this is the place where exploitative relationships, where pornography belong, where it's all authority and control and no vulnerability and openness to real relationships. God doesn't want us to be strong and powerful and in control. God also doesn't want us to be weak and needy and without agency. What God wants for us is both. He wants abundant life. He wants us to flourish, where we live acknowledging our, our limits, our weaknesses, honest about our failings, our sins, our, our mistakes, taking on real risk, being able to, to step out into real areas of risk, not, not as doormats, but as elevators, where we encourage and influence and elevate those around us. To really flourish, to live our best life, we must embrace both authority and vulnerability, both power to be able to set boundaries, to be able to say what's right, to be able to lead, and vulnerability, to be able to suffer, to take on risk. When we do this, when we take on risk, when we sacrifice, we're living in the way of Jesus. The uh, author John described Jesus this way. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. True flourishing, says this author, says Andy Crouch, true flourishing dips us down into risk, out of our safety net, dips us down into that and leverages us up into real effectiveness and flourishing that, that's for the sake of others, and that comes from a place of experience and authenticity. We see this in the best leaders. We see this in, in the athletes and celebrities that we admire who have sacrificed and risked, and we see this in Jesus. Rather than being opposite, strength and weakness are, are meant to be combined in every human life and in our communities. And when they come together, we find the flourishing that we were made for. And here's why we can embrace this. Here's why we can embrace vulnerability and risk. Because Jesus is not just an example of it. He's the Lord of it. He, he did not just do this and live this way. He controls this. We do not set out on a journey that's like a grid or a graph, a nice theory that somebody made up. We set out on this journey in a world controlled by God. It's not controlled by arrows or, or principles, but by Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. This is God's way and God's world, and we can trust God as we set out to live this way. As we follow the God who is fully human and fully God, who took on risk, who died for us, and then rose again, we can trust him. It's not an abstract principle. This is why we're able to step out into meaningful risk and create meaningful change, because we don't do it alone. It's not a self-improvement plan. It's God's pattern and that he blesses and that he enables. It's God's way, and we can trust God 
as we step out into it. Worship team, if you guys want to come on back up, um, this is how we as people of faith are able to, to change jobs with confidence. It's how we're able to ask for forgiveness or receive forgiveness. It's how we're able to step out into new business ventures. It's how we're able to move and buy a house. It's how we're able to sell our house and rent an apartment. Because God is in control of every risk we take. It's how we're able to enter counseling. It's how we're able to, to start a new, new job. It's how we're able to volunteer, take an online course in something we've never tried before. Because God is in control of every risk we take. Stephen and I have taken some risks in 2018. We took some risks in 2017 and 16, and you know, there's 2013, we got married, that was a risk. Um, 2017, we started our adoption course. You know what? That adoption course is meant to scare you. You hear just so many stories and so many, you're like, whew, does it ever work out well? I mean, there's, there's reality, but it's just, it's a little overwhelming by the end. And then we went and we, we sat down with our social worker and their social worker and another social worker, and they give us about 300 pages of information on two little girls. And you know what it is? It's most of the problems, right? And then they tell us that the younger one is sassy. Thanks, sassy. What does that mean? They are a spirited child. Thanks. That's really, really descriptive, right? And we saw one small grainy picture of them. And you, try and, you try and blow it up to get a better look at, at, at the faces, and then they just look like deformed aliens the more you, you blow it up. <laughs> then we, we met them on July 17, 2018, and they walked across the playground in Westboro. And they just, seeing them walk across the playground, they looked, they looked normal and healthy and just, just average, just walking like, like normal, normal kids. The morning that, that we met them, I, I slept soundly. You know, back before we had kids, I, I slept until like 6.30. So I, I, I slept soundly until my alarm went off at 6.30. I was at peace. The morning after we met them, I woke up well before my alarm, went, went, got, got my phone, and just started looking at pictures. I, I was too excited to sleep. God has been good to us. We took on a risk. I'm so, so glad we did. You know, God is good to us all the time, I think as we stepped out into this gigantic, gigantic, unknown question mark, we discovered that God is incredibly good and incredibly generous to us. What risks is God calling you to in 2019? It could be relationships. It could be relationships that you really need to uh, step into. Uh, it could be work. It could be projects, things you've always had a passion for and wanted to try. What's God calling you to step into in 2019? Here's something I learned like, like recently. God is in a good mood. Sometimes we, we feel like we don't know if God's in a good mood. We better say some nice things about him, butter him up a little bit before we ask him for anything. Say, oh, Jesus, you're so, so wonderful. Like, is it working? Is he in a good mood yet? God is in a good mood. We live in a state of radical grace. In Jesus, we have everything. There's no more that the God of heaven can give us, but there's much more that we can take. There's no more to be given, but there is more for us to receive. The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? 
Jesus is calling us out into what matters most in 2019, to step out of our comfort zones, to live authentically into what he's calling us into, in, into power and, and authority that comes from loving and risking. Let's pray together as we head into a time of worship. If you want to stand with me, Jesus, we thank you as we enter the new year that we can trust you, that you are the God who has led us steady through many years. You are the God who, who led the disciples steady through many ups and downs and turns in your ministry, in your earthly life, Jesus. You are the one who has led this church uh, through 20 years this year. We thank you for that. And we thank you for the new things that you are leading us into in 2019. You are the God who walks beside us, in front of us, and beside us. You're with us in every step of the way, Jesus. All your thoughts towards us, our goodness and grace, your smile is upon us, Jesus. We know that we can trust you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.